join me in prayer and then we'll get into the word. Father, we love you and we look to you tonight in the wonderful name of Jesus to open your word and teach us. God, we've come here tonight from every kind of background we can think of. The folks out at Fairview, they've come from every kind of a background today. And Father, only you through your spirit knows exactly what every person in this house needs to hear tonight. And I just trust that you'll give them through me. I pray that I'll be an instrument in your hand tonight and that you'll use me to say what I need to say and you'll give me wisdom not to say what I shouldn't say. And when it's all said and done, may you get all the honor, all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, while you're standing, get your Bible. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 14. Pastor sent me a text on Monday and said, uh, uh, said, Rev, are you in town? And I sent a text back and said, yes. He said, can you preach for me Wednesday night? I sent him a text back and said, yes, I can. Now, I know some of you folks think that those of us have been preaching for years, that we just get out a, uh, one of those sugar candy uh, stick sermons and, 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 you know, throw a little more sugar on it and bring it. But, you know, I, I wanted to find out just what does God really want to say to you tonight through me? And I really believe I have that word from the Lord tonight. So we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. Tonight's message is entitled, Contrary Winds. Contrary Winds. Now, my dad used to use that word a lot. That contrary boy. That contrary. How many of you ever had a, had a dad? Man, he used that word a lot. And you're going you're gonna to walk away tonight really understanding it. But in verse 22, let's begin reading together. And straightway, Jesus constrained. I I would encourage you to just circle that word, okay? He constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him and to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. He put the disciples on the boat and sent them out into the water. And it's in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. How many of you have ever been out on the Tennessee River in a boat and a storm gets you? How many of you have ever been out there? Ah, you know how to pray. Ah, you know how to pray. You know how to pray. I was docking. We, we hadn't been here but just a little while, just a few months. And I was docking my boat out uh, there in Decatur, you know, getting on the river. One of the guys in the church walked up and he said, you're going to put your boat in the water today? And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, okay. <laughs> well, he really loved his pastor, I can tell you right now. Man, I, I, I threw the, the juice to that baby and I got out there and all of a sudden that thing began to white cap. And I thought I was going to meet Jesus right out there on the Tennessee River. Now it's tossed. Look what it says here. Boy, this is, this is bad. And the winds are contrary. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit. 
And they cried out for fear, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now right here is where they should have said, If it's you, get in this boat. Let's get this thing. Hey, we, we need somebody in this boat that can handle what's going on. He knows what he they know that he can handle a storm. But Peter now prolongs it. Don't you just love these guys? Peter prolongs the storm. Now look at it, verse 28, it's there. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the water, out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. Now, I, I, I would like to tell you the tone of voice he used, but I can't scream that loud. But have you ever been so scared that you scream like a little old girl, just as loud as you? Well, some of you girls do scream that way, don't you? Now, look what it says. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Now, now look at that. When they got in the ship, the wind what? It ceased. You see... Peter just prolonged the agony. You ever, you, ever, you ever in your life just prolonged your agony? When if you'd have just got real obedient right there and said, man, good to see you, Lord. Come on. Come on. I've made a mess out of everything. I'm the biggest fool that ever hit town. Come on and help me out. Get in here. Get in the middle of this and let's get it fixed. But he prolonged the agony. And then it says right here that wind ceased in verse 33. Then they, now this is important to watch this. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him saying of a truth. Thou art the son of God. Did you get it? All right. Now I want you, you can go ahead and be seated. I want you to know that we have this uh, account of this same story in the book of Mark. We have the account of this same story in the book of John. And so we'll refer back to them so that we get the the whole picture of everything that's going on. But let me give you a little bit of a background as the day, uh, what was going on that day before he told them in that evening to get into the boat and go to the other side. They just fed 5,000 people. What a miracle. Amen. What a miracle. This little old boy had a he, his mommy had packed him a lunch that day and he had those loaves and a little uh, two or three little throwback fishes. And, and, and Jesus used that and fed the whole multitude. Amen. And that's got to be a pretty weary day. But John tells us about that miracle. And John said that because those guys had got some, some fish and chips and it was free, that they wanted to by force make him a king. Now, Jesus knew that couldn't happen. It wasn't his time. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords and he has the time, but that wasn't the time. And so what he does, he has to send those disciples away. He's got to get them out of there. He's got to disperse that crowd, get them back to their house. Then he's going to go to the mountain and pray. And these guys who are are seasoned, seasoned fishermen, men that knew the sea, they're going to go out in that boat and they're going to be in a storm that could literally take their life. And right in the darkest time of the night, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, Jesus comes walking on the water and Simon Peter prolongs the agony. (laughs) You know, one thing about this story, Jesus wasn't teaching us how to walk on water, was he? 
No. But I want to talk to you about contrary winds. They blow in every one of our lives. Now, there's a thing called success syndrome. And uh, I, I want you to know every one of us are affected by the success syndrome theology. Now, I, I'm going to tell you as a pastor for 46 years, the success syndrome theology, it just worried me to death. It kept me, I, I'm telling you right now, it kept me frustrated all the time. Because I pastored people that had that success syndrome. You say, what is success syndrome? Here it is. If I am doing what God would have me to do, it's going to be smooth sailing. And if it's not smooth sailing, I must not be doing what God would have me to do. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's bad theology. But I'm telling you, listen, I don't have to sit at your table and have a meal with you. I just understand the same way people were in Decatur, Alabama. You're the same way in Coleman, Alabama. You're the same way over in Fairview. And we have this idea that if I am doing what God would have me to do, everything's going to be good. Everything's going to work out just right. I mean, we're not going to get bounced around and we're not going to get beat up. And we're not going to get black eyed and we're not going to get uh, uh, this happening to us and that happening to us. Because bless God, we're doing what God would have us to do. And just the opposite I have found to be true in life. That when I'm doing what God would have me to do, I get beat up all the time. Are you with me? Okay, are, are we Okay. All right, well, let's go. I hope you pick up the notes. I, I'm telling you guys, <clears throat> if you pick up the notes, you don't have to listen but out about half of what I say. Because the other half I wrote down on the notes. Makes it go a whole lot easier, okay? All right, let me give you some things and then we'll be done. Number one, I want you to see that because the winds were contrary did not mean they were out of the will of God. Go back to verse number 22. The Bible said, and straightway Jesus constrained them. Now, I realize as preachers, we tell you what the Greek says instead of the English. But tonight, I'm going to tell you what the English says instead of the Greek. You know what the word constrain means? Noah Webster said it like this. He said, the word constrains means to compel or force. And then he goes on to say, to urge with irresistible Power. Now, my daddy had irresistible power. I'm telling you, I didn't realize growing up, but my daddy constrained me all the time. And he pointed and snapped his finger, turned his eye, and I knew there was irresistible power. Because I had resisted the power from time to time and only found out that it hurt really, really bad. And then he goes on to say, and or with a power sufficient to produce the effect. Now, here's exactly what it said. He made him go. <laughs> now, if I just make that real simple in the way I think, he made them old boys get in that boat. Now, you say, why did he make them get in that boat? Well, number one, they needed to get out of there. But remember now, these guys are mariners. They know when to get in the boat and get out into water, and they know when not to get in the boat and not to get out in water. But he, he, he constrained them. He forced them. 
he had irresistible power to get them in the boat and get them out there. So let me ask you, where were they? They were right in the very middle of the will of God. They were doing exactly what he commanded them to do. And right in the middle of what God commanded them to do came the biggest storm that had ever happened in their life. Well, now that, that, that messes up theology, doesn't it? Oh, man, if I'm doing what God had me to do, every, oh, I, I, I'm telling you right now, whoa, 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 whoa. They're right in the middle of the storm, but they're right in the middle of the will of God for their life. I was reading over in the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are out on the missionary journey, and God's doing great and mighty things, and <clears throat> healings are taking place, and they're down in Lystra, and, and those guys do a flip-flop in Lystra. All of a sudden, they, they, I mean, they're, they're ready to, to worship Paul and Barnabas, and the next thing you know, some folks came down from Antioch, and they stone Paul, and they leave him thinking he's dead. Yeah. Now, if you live by the success syndrome and you see Paul laying there stoned and they think he's dead, you know what you're going to say? Well, he shouldn't have been down here. Well, he, he shouldn't be, he, he shouldn't have been saying that. He, well, he, whoa, he, he shouldn't have been here, but he was exactly where God wanted him to be. You know, so many times in our life, we, we get right where God tells us and everything goes wrong and then everybody gets mad at us. I, I just want you to turn, turn in, if you would, in your Bible, and I think you may have it already written down, but uh, to the book of Exodus, this is, I, I, I want to show you some success syndrome guys here for a moment. In Exodus chapter 15, in Exodus chapter 15, oh Moses, you, you know, oh Moses, bless God. I, I, people say, was Moses a Baptist? He was. You say, how do you know that? Because the Israelites were acting just like Baptists. <laughs> You'll get that in a minute, okay? You know, only a Baptist can throw off on Baptist, okay? Here we go. Look at, look at verse 22. Moses brought, uh, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out. I'm in verse 22. Uh, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness, and what happened? They ran out of water. They ran out of water. Whoa, success syndrome. We shouldn't have been out here. God wasn't in this. I, I, ew, Moses, blankety blank, blank, blank. What's wrong with you? Wait, why are we following that fool? There's no water. Isn't that right? Now watch what's going to happen here. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Mary. Now, wait a minute. Somebody said, whoa, 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 over here's water. They get over there and that water's bitter. For they were bitter. Therefore, the name of that was called Mary. That, what, 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 there's no water. Now we find water and we can't drink the water. Moses. You think they're not Baptists? Good night. And the people what? Murmured against God. No, they didn't blame God. Who'd they blame? And poor old Moses is saying, God, but you told me. I'm telling you, it's lonely to be a leader. I, I'm telling you, leader, it's lonely to be a leader. 
what shall we drink? He asked, he asked God, he said, what shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree, which I wish I had time to show you. That's the cross right there that you're finding in the Old Testament. Okay. He showed him a tree. Let me tell you something, man. The only tree in the world that'll ever take bitter water and make it sweet is the cross. Amen. Well, that's all we're going to say there. Which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There, there he made for them a statue and an ordinance. And there he proved them. See that word proved? You know what God did? God just tested them. Anybody ever fail a test from God? I tell you what, I failed many a test from God, haven't you? When I should have humbled myself and drawn close to him, I just arrogantly got into self and, and, and did this stupid stuff. Failed the test. Now look what happens here. He proved them and said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam. Now watch this. They just go across the hill. Those guys, if you've been to the Holy Land, you know what? The first thing that shocked you was everything's in so, so, such close proximity. And they go to Elam just across the hill. What's over at Elam? Twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees. In other words, there, there's twelve wells. You talk about water. They've got good water to drink there. And they've got 70 shade trees. Guys, we're going through a lot of stuff if we'll just hang on to God. I, we're not out of the will of God. We're doing exactly what he told us to do. And when we do what he told us to do, just hang on. Because Elam's on the other side. There's 12 wells of water over there and a whole lot of shade trees over there. Just hang in there. So let me give you point one was because the winds were contrary did not mean they were out of the will of God. Secondly, because there was no progress did not mean they were out of the will of God. Now, the Bible said, look at verse 24, back in, in, in Matthew chapter 14. Look at verse 24. But the ship was now in where? In the midst of the sea. Now, when Jesus told them old boys to get into that boat, you know where they were? They were on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And now this storm has got them all the way in the mist. I'm telling you, that wind is moving that boat. And it's moving it in a contrary way. And so they're right in the midst of the sea. They're right in the middle. Now we don't know, but I, I would say just guessing, they've probably gone somewhere around three miles or so. Just south, just opposite of the direction where they were going. Now, if you'll go back where they got in that boat and cross right where they got in that boat, right over to where the other side is, that wouldn't have been a bad trip at all. But they got in that boat and man, they, they, they got into some territory they didn't want to get into. And then the Bible said that they were tossed. Look, look again. And they were tossed. Here they are. They're right out in the middle of that and they're tossed with waves. Now you talk about something will beat you up. You get in a boat and you let the waves start throwing that thing. And it won't be long until you'll have an elbow that's broken and out of joint. And you'll have a knee that's messed up. You'll have a knot on your head. I mean, it just throws you every direction. Amen? Yeah. 
And they're tossed. Here they are. They're tossed. They're battered. Okay. I, I, I'm telling you right now, they, 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 this is not a, a good place to be. This is not an easy place to be. And then he said, because the winds, look at verse 24, the winds were contrary. Now that word contrary means in opposite directions. These old boys were kicking and, and, and paddling and doing everything they could to go this way. And the wind was taking them in an opposite direction. Now, now let, me, let me tell you, my experience had just been like this. When God has asked me to go this way and I obediently start going that way, all the wind starts blowing, <laughs> trying to take me that away. Yeah. You know, Jesus said there's a broad way and a narrow way. You know, I think sometimes when we read that, we don't understand that it's all one way. It's all a way. It's just the broad way is going this way and the narrow way is going right in the middle of it, right upstream. How many of you have ever tried to swim upstream, up against the current? It takes some kind of swimmer to do that. But we're in that. The current is always blowing. You say, well, but wait a minute. That syndrome, that syndrome, success syndrome, I mean, if I'm really doing what God is doing, I mean, I ought to have the wind to my back. I mean, I ought to be able to just coast and let that baby go. Let me tell you, when you're doing what God would have you to do, you're going to have to dig and you're going to have to dig in and you're going to have to fight it as hard as you've ever fought anything. Are you with me? You say, well, I don't know. I don't understand why Christians don't do more for God. I'll tell you why. Because they think if you're doing what God would have you to do, it's easy. I, I picked up some hay this past week, this week. From William that's in our church here, sings in our choir and bales hay. And I, I picked up some hay and, and uh, I was supposed to pick it up in the field. And, and uh, I, I, I got there and they'd already left the field. It came a downpour here in Coleman. I mean, just, I mean, one of those uh, gully washers. And, uh, and, and he had already left, you know. And, and then uh, I was getting hay out of his, out of his uh, uh, shed. And he came over there and he said... Uh, said, man, I can't believe it. And I looked at him and said, William, if it's easy, everybody would do it. If it's easy, everybody would do it. But we have this, this success syndrome that if I'm doing what God would have me to do, it would be easy. You know, Katie and I celebrate 50 years of marriage November. 50 years we've been married in November. If I told you it would be, it, that it's been easy, I'd be the biggest liar in Coleman. It's not easy. There's no such thing as a successful marriage that's easy. Or I, I tell you what, man, I tell you what, raising good kids is easy. If you believe that, you've never raised any kids. You know, kids will make liars out of you quicker than anything in the world, right? Sing for us, honey. Come on, you were singing in the car. And then kids will not only make liars out of you, but they'll tell truths about you. Oh, boy, they'll tell on you, won't they? We were going to a big outing uh, at our first church, and our kids were just little bitty things in the back seat, you know, and going to a big outing. We were just having a knockdown drag out. We weren't cussing, but we were close to it. <laughs> I'm mad. She is mad. We're saying things we ought not say, you know, and then we got there. Hey. The model couple. 
look how they love each other. And my boy began to tell something, said, yeah, mom and dad, they fought all the way out here. I pulled him off the side preacher and I said, boy, you're, what, what'd you say that for? He said, what, wasn't that what you were doing? <laughs> That's exactly what we were doing. Contrary, contrary. And then he said the word toiling, look at it. In, in, in Mark's gospel, chapter six, verse 48, he, he tells that they were toiling. Jesus saw them toiling. Now they, they didn't raise the, the, the sails. If they'd raised the sails, that'd have been a good trip. You see, when, when the storm came, you had to take those sails down or you're going to crash that boat. Man, the only way they could make it was with those oars and rowing as hard as they could. And they were toiling, toiling. I, I'm telling you, you talk about tired. They were tired. Have you ever been in a place where you were toiling and working and doing until your muscles are burning and you're thinking, I can't, I can't do this anymore? They talked me into years ago, we had gone to whitewater rafting. And uh, now whitewater rafting for 25-year-olds is great. 65-year-olds, it's, it's just nuts. <laughs> and a few years ago when I was 65, I'm almost 70 now, and I, we got in there and, we, you know, I thought that's okay. And then they put a helmet on me. Oh, helmet? We're going to butt heads here. And then I found out that was for the rocks that we could hit. And we, we started down through there and everything's going good. And all of a sudden everything went wrong, man. I mean, water's coming in. And, and, and one of the guys said, if you don't paddle, we'll all die. <laughs> and the guy was hollering, paddle, paddle, paddle. And I wanted to holler, I'm burning, I'm burning. But I could hear those words, you'll die. They were toiling. You, you get in the picture where this is at? But wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Man, if God's in it, I don't have to put forth that kind of effort. I'm in the flesh putting forth all that effort. If God's in it, we ought to just ease right on through. No, 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 no. A lot of toiling. Now, let me just ask you a question. We've already learned it. Were they in the will of God? Absolutely. Let me ask you, do you ever think that these seasoned fishermen, do you think when they were out there, I wonder if it went through, in, through their mind any at all, what was he doing putting us out here in this? What was he thinking when he told us, get out in that boat and go? Hey, you ever been there? You ever started out doing what God had you to do and all of a sudden you're toiling? All of a sudden it's contrary winds. All of a sudden everything's going against you. All of a sudden you're burning and you say, now God, were you sure about this? Did you really? Come on, talk to me now. You've been there? I, I, I would think they were, I think they thought that. And then in John's, in John's gospel, chapter six, when he tells us, he tells us how far they had rowed. He says in, in, in verse number 19, he said that, that they had rode about 25 or 30 furlongs. A furlong is one-eighth of a mile. These guys had rode about <laughs> three to four miles. Here they are, man. They're right in the middle of everything. Now, the Bible said they were in the midst, and we know they're now in the middle because the Sea of Galilee at its widest part is seven, seven miles. I mean, they're right. They started on the north end. Now they're right out in the middle of this thing. They couldn't be in a worse position. 
And that's where they are. They've been toiling. They've been tossed. And God sent them right in to that mess. And they're right in the will of God. You say, well, Brother Doug, when you do what God would have you to do, and you get right in the middle of the storm and everything's going, what do you do? I'm glad you asked. You just keep the boat pointed in the right direction. You just keep, keep the boat pointed in the right direction. Keep praying. Keep reading. Keep loving. Keep witnessing. Keep, keep winning people to Christ. Keep making disciples. Keep giving. Keep loving missions. Keep loving God. Keep loving each other. Just keep the boat pointed in the right direction. Well, let me show you something else here. The third thing is simply that although they experienced life-shattering discomfort, they were not in danger. Again, we go back to verse 24. I mean, they were tossed. That's life-shattering discomfort. Can I encourage you a little bit tonight? It rains on the just and the unjust. You need to know that. And, and I, I want you to know something. Bad things do happen to good people. And I want to tell you something else. Good things do happen to some bad people. You see, they are, they are in life-shattering discomfort, but they are safe. You say, why are they safe? Because they are exactly where God told them to be. The only place you'll ever find safety is right in the middle of the will of God. And if you'll just anchor in when God's asking you to do something, just anchor in. I mean, all hell breaks loose, but anchor in. You're okay. You're going to make it. Little boy was reading the book. While he was reading the book, he was talking out loud. And he said, old villain, I hate you. You're winning. You're winning. I hate you, old villain. His mama said, son, come and help with the dishes. He kept reading on the book, you know, and she hollered back a second time. She said, son, come in here and help with these dishes. Little boy flipped back to the last chapter and he began to read real quick. She said, son, if you're not in here by the time I count to three, you're in trouble. Little boy jumped up, ran in to help his mom. And on the way in, he was saying, nah, nah, old villain. I read the last chapter and you're losing over there. Let me tell you something. He's losing over there. And you'll win. I, I'm telling you right now, you hang in there, you'll win. You hang in there, you'll win. You know, a lot of us, a lot of us, uh, how many of you know who Franklin Graham is? Okay, the son of Billy Graham. Do you know he was a prodigal? I mean, he was a prodigal. He had to break his mom and dad's heart time and time again. But you know what? They hung in there and look where look. I, I'm just telling you, hang in there. The wind blows. It looks bad, but hang in there. And even though they were in life shattering discomfort, they were not in danger. You ever talk? You ever, you ever been in an uncomfort, uncomfortable situation? Then think about Daniel in the lion's den. You know, you, you see some of these pictures that that uh, people paint about old Daniel over there, just relaxed, you know, and, Got his head on a line. There ain't, ain't a man alive got his head on a line. You listening to me? I guarantee you it was a tense moment the whole time through. But even though, even though he was in, in, in life-shattering discomfort, he was not in danger. Are you with me?
Talk to them Hebrew boys they throw in that fire that they got seven times hotter than, than, than they could normally get a fire. And they throw those Hebrew boys in. Let, let me ask you, do you think they were a little bit of discomfort? But they were not in danger. And I'm going to tell you right now, when we're doing what God would have us do, there's a lot of times we are in great discomfort. Great discomfort. But hang on. Hang on. We're going to make it. And then number four, when the storm became the most severe, Jesus comes walking on the water. He says in our text, he came on the fourth watch. That fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now, they, they, they didn't have good Timexes like we do today and, and uh, different kinds of watches that we have. But they, they broke their night down into four watches. From 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock p.m. was first watch. 9 to 12 was second watch. From 12 to 3 was the third watch. And from 3 to 6 a.m. was the fourth watch. Now, what we know, if you're driving all night long, you're, you're dri- how many of you have ever done an all-nighter? You know, that's when you say, thank God for Red Bull. Anybody ever drink Red Bull? I just want you to know it's a sin. When I give the invitation in a few minutes, I expect you to walk the aisle and get right on that. And I expect you to get rid of your Red Bull. And uh, matter of fact, just let me pick it up. <laughs> if you ever done an all-nighter, you know what it is. When, when do you get the tiredest? When is it the hardest to keep your eyes open? Right before daylight. Isn't, that, isn't it horrible? Right before daylight, you're thinking, I, I'm never going to make it. Oh, dear God, help me. I am not going to make it. And it's the, it's the darkest of the night. But at the darkest of the night, that's when Jesus comes walking on the water. David said in Psalm chapter 30, verse number 5, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Bill Gaither wrote a song entitled Joy Comes in the Morning. I love this song. I want to read the words to you. I would sing it to you, but that would mess up a good night. He said, if you've knelt beside the rubble of an aching, broken heart, when the things you gave your life to fell apart, you're not the first to be acquainted with sorrow, grief, or pain, but the master promised sunshine after rain. So hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. Weeping only lasts for the night. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. The darkest hour means dawn is just in sight. And then listen to the next verse. To invest your seeds of trust in God in mountains you cannot move. And to risk your life on things you cannot prove. But to give the things you cannot keep for what you cannot lose. Now. That's the way to find the joy God has for you. Joy comes in the morning. Now, I'm going to tell you, when we step out to believe God, I mean, we step out to believe him, and it gets so dark, it's darker than it's ever been, it's more severe than it's ever been, then listen to me closely. Listen, listen. Deliverance is just about there. It's on the way. Are you with me? Now, do you know in Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel, chapter uh, 6 and verse number 48, you know what Mark says? Mark says that Jesus in the mountain praying, 
saw them toiling in the water in the darkest of the night. Now, if that's not supernatural, I, I, I don't know what we would call supernatural. Jesus never lost sight of them. Did you ever lose a child? Temporarily? I, I, I'm telling you, hey, we, we, we lost our, grand, our grandson in Disney World for an hour. I had, I had two heart attacks. My wife had two strokes. I, 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 I mean, he was with his dad. And Katie and I were just going along great. And then all of a sudden he wasn't with his dad. And his dad said, but no, he was coming to be with you. And we never saw him. And you panic. You, you don't know panic. I mean, man, we're down there with all those fruits and nuts. I mean, those folks don't even, they don't even know the definition of a woman. And we've lost a kid amongst them. We're just having fun. It's Wednesday night. Come on, man. It's Wednesday night. Laugh a little bit. Look over at somebody, slap them, say, man, laugh. Don't cry. Don't get mad. Enjoy yourself. I'm telling you, you you talk about something, man, when you lose somebody. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible said here. Jesus never lost sight of them. Never lost sight of them. There was not one row they made that Jesus didn't watch them make it. There wasn't one inch that that wind moved them in a contrary direction. That Jesus didn't watch it and know all about it. If his eye is on the sparrow, let me tell you, he's watching me and he's watching you. Amen? Well, I, I'm going to tell you, you want a little bit of revival in your life. When everything in the world's going wrong, just step out and say, look up and say, he's, he sees me. He sees me. He knows what's going on. He knows what they said. He knows what they did. He knows what we've been accused of. He he knows all about it. He's God. He knows all about it. Then I want you to see it. I'm going to land this baby now. Number five, he came in a supernatural way. And we pick it up in verse number 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them. Walking on the water. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you, if that's not supernatural, I don't know anybody can walk on water. Do you? I've seen some drunks try, but they, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. <laughs> you, 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 I, I hate telling drunk jokes, but they are good. <laughs> Did you hear about the two drunks playing Superman, you know? And one of them said, I'm Superman. He is on a second floor of an apartment building he wrapped a a sheet around his neck and jumped off of that thing to fly man he hit the ground broke him all to pieces all to pieces and his drunk buddy went up to the hospital to see him he's laying in there man cast everywhere and he looks at his drunk buddy came to see him and he said man why did you let me do and he said hey i thought you could fly too You'll get it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Brother Malcolm will never let me preach again. 
I mean, he comes in a supernatural way. He's walking on the water. He's walking on the water. It scares those guys to death. They think they've seen a ghost. That's part of the tradition of teachings that had in their life. They, and they thought, man, you see this spirit like that, you're going to die. We, hey, we've been thinking for the last nine hours or plus we're going to drown out here. Now we know we're going to drown. But let me tell you another thing supernaturally that he did. The Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 6 and verse number 21, listen to what he says. He says, then they willingly received him into the ship and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Now, if you take everything that he's given us, they're right out in the middle of that thing. Jesus steps into the boat and I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen some fast motorboats, but nothing like that. I mean, about three and a half miles. They're there. You ever thought about that? I bet every one of those disciples said, I think I broke my neck. <laughs> I've got whiplash. Can you imagine that old boy? Can you imagine one of those old boys down on the dock? He's piddling around. Next thing he knows, there's a whoosh, and there sits that boat. Boom. You say, well, why in the world is that in there? Well, I'm going to tell you why it's in there. Because sometimes when we're toiling with everything we've got in us, and we're working in all the ways we can work, but we're staying faithful to God that we know how to be. But when he shows up, every, it, it, what we could toil that would take us months or even years, he can do just like that. Just like that. Amen? Well, he shows up in a supernatural way. Now, the reason he does that, there's two things that he's going to show them. And we quit, we quit right here. Number one, he's going to demonstrate to them that he's willing to do whatever is necessary to rescue his children. Guys, let me tell you, he'll never leave you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. Uh, you're in trouble, he'll get you out. He'll rescue you. You're, you're in the will of God, just hang on. He's coming. He's coming. Help's on the way. He's coming. I like the way we say it down south. It's biblical. This too shall come to pass. He's coming. He's on the way. The second thing, though, as he wants us to worship him. That coming in a supernatural way brings worship. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 said, Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now we read that and say, Oh, that's great. But wait, wait, wait. Let me give you some background. Are you ready? In the book of Matthew, chapter 3 and verse 17, God the Father spoke from heaven those guys heard him say it. He pointed, he spoke of Jesus there at the Jordan. And God the Father said, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. And you know what the disciples said? They didn't catch it. They didn't get it. Then if, if that, if that uh, let, me, let me tell you again, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 29, the Bible said that the demons said to Jesus, Jesus, what have we to do with you, Jesus, thou son of God? I mean, they heard demons call him the son of God. You know what they did? <sighs> they didn't catch it. But when he got in that boat... And they're to the other shore. He's walked on that water. And the wind stops. 
and they drop to their knees and they say, truly, thou art the Son of God. Guys, let me tell you, every storm we go through, every battle we go through as we serve the Lord, there's one thing that God wants to have happen, and that's simply this. He wants us to know that we're protected, and he's got his eye on us. He's going to take care of us. Just keep rowing and hang on. But number two, at the end of it, we're going to love him more than we've ever loved him before. We're going to love him better than we've ever loved him before. My father-in-law served in the Korean War, and uh, I've heard him say several things about the Korean War. I want to tell you a story about the Korean War. Now, I'm not going to do like Pastor Malcolm. I'm not going to get mad at you for closing your Bible because I just closed mine. <laughs> but in the Korean War, there was a young American soldier that there was a little... Uh, orphan Korean boy that he'd taken up with. The little boy lived in the orphanage and, and, and that, that American soldier just loved that boy and it wasn't long till he was going to be transferred back to the States and he went through everything you'd have to go through to adopt that little boy to be his son to take him back to America. All the paperwork was done. It was just a matter of time till he was going to be furloughed back and this little Korean boy named Corey would be going home with him. Well, one of the last things they were to do would be to give him a, 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 a medical exam again before they let him back in the country and let him leave Korea. And when they examined that little boy, they found that he had the beginning of leprosy. If you know anything about that country in that time, that was very, very common. And the little boy, there's no way now he could come to the United States and the young soldier was just so disheartened over it, heartbroken. And the day came that uh, he was to take him by boat to the leper island. And that's where the little boy would spend the rest of his life. And that morning when they got on the boat heading to the leper island, it was a very foggy morning. And the little boy and the soldier, and they, they, they couldn't say much because the soldier, he, he just didn't speak much Korean. He but he loved that little boy, and they just held on to each other. And The time came when the boat got to the island. The little boy had to be taken off the boat. The soldier was to see him for the last time. The boat starts backing up, pulling out, and they bring up the, 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 the ramp, and the boat's getting now going back into the fog. And the little boy begins to say something real loud. And the more he says it, the louder he says it. And the guy running the boat is getting angry. And the soldier has no idea why the guy running the boat's getting angry, but he can hear the little boy yelling louder and louder. But he has no idea what he's saying. And finally, the guy running the boat said to him, said, Soldier, do you not know what that boy's saying? And he said, No, sir, I don't. I have no idea what he's saying. And the man looked at him and he said, that little boy is saying, I love you. Do you love me? And you know, God in heaven is saying to me, and he's saying to you tonight, I love you. Do you love me? And you know, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
John 21, Simon, do you love me? Then what did he tell him to do? Feed those lambs, feed those sheep. Here's what he said. Just love me more than you love fish. Love him more than you love comfort. Love him more than having your own way. Just love him. And I'm telling you, it'll work out. Now, guys, if we could just sit and drink a cup of coffee with you tonight, I could hear your story. I could hear you talk about, I've been tossed, I've been battered. I'm out here and I'm wondering, it's dark. I'm wondering where he's at. Well, let me, I hope tonight I've helped you to know he's got his eye on you. And he's going to show up. I'm not sure when, but when he does, it'll be supernatural. I'm going to tell you right now, and it, it, I, it's going to be supernatural. He's coming. What I'm going to do is hang on.